Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from some of the top achievers in our home state of South Carolina. These neighbors of ours will also share their time-tested personal philosophies and solutions to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today is native to South Carolina and lives in the city of Fountain Inn. He is the executive director of the Upstate Mobility Alliance and a founding partner of PCAN Public Relations. He's also the mayor of the city of Fountain Inn, which is one of the fastest growing cities in the state and was elected into office at the age of 31, making him the youngest mayor in the city's history. Greenville Business Magazine recently named him one of the 50 most influential people and one of the best and brightest under 35. His list of achievements, recognitions, boards, and committees he served on could take up our whole show if I listed them all, but instead I'd prefer for our listeners to get to know the man behind all these honors because he is a truly genuine, down-to-earth, likable person with a heart to serve his community. Welcome to the show, one of my new friends, G.P. McClear. Hey, G.P. Hey, how are you doing today? Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. In your current role as Mayor Fountain Inn, serving in a public office is a long way from where you started, right? You've got your degree in arts management, right? Yeah, yeah. And you worked as executive director for South Carolina Arts Alliance. Tell us a little bit about that journey from arts career to a a public office. Yeah, so I played guitar, trombone, and piano growing up. The trombone, because it was free, it was my uncle's old one. And uh, from there, I I played in the band and in school. And in high school, I played in the the band for St. Joseph's Catholic School, my alma mater here in town. And it was a really small group. And we also would play the music for the theater shows, the musicals. And I uh, would hang around after school uh, because my parents, uh, I grew up in Anderson, South Carolina, and we drove uh, to Greenville every day for school and back. And so I would hang out after school uh, before rehearsals. And my job kind of became setting things up for the band and then setting things up in other places for these different shows. And kind of just fell in love with the process of creating artwork and found out though I'm I'm much better managing art than creating art as a skill (laughs) set and uh, saw College of Charleston at a college fair in high school. They had a program in arts management, which is something I had never heard of before. At the time, I was thinking about doing business administration and, and going down that route and saw this arts management program and fell in love with the idea and visited the school and the campus and fell in love there. And so it was actually the only place I wanted to apply for college, but our guidance counselor said, you need to apply for two, just, just because. So I applied to another school, but got into College of Charleston and went there. And so I've always been a fan of learning how things work and, and how to make things possible. And I think that sort of started my idea around policy work. But I, I will say that, you know, in sixth grade, we didn't have recess at my school and we made a petition in our homeroom and uh, got it floated across the grade to bring recess back and we won. So <laughs> I think that was my real first taste of, of that kind of process. And you know, I, I can- Of the know, democracy, do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that things can work. You can, you can raise your voice and make a difference. And yeah. 
you know, to make a long story short, when I worked for the city of Malden, I helped start their art center and created their office of cultural affairs and was at every council meeting for them, whether I was on the agenda or not, and fell in love with local government. Um, and then at the Arts Alliance, we focused on political advocacy at the state and federal level. So I was watching the state house and watching Congress. And I was actually, at that time, I had moved to Fountain Inn, bought my first house and was going to our council meetings because I learned so much from my time in Malden of what goes on at those and just fell in love with it. So you wouldn't necessarily have those two cross paths too often, you would think, but um, they crossed my path a lot growing up. Yeah. And what makes Fountain Inn one of the fastest growing cities in South Carolina? It's got a lot to draw and it's growing pretty big now. Well, we're the best city in America, hands down. So uh, that's to start. That's 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 the primary reason. But we we've been able to maintain our small town charm that everyone loves. And um, as we grow, you know, the thing we're charged with on city council right now is how do we how do we grow responsibly and while still retaining that small town charm that people fall in love with? We're at the fastest, we're at the intersection of the fastest growing parts of two counties. We sit over the county line, part 30% of us, including myself, live on the Lawrence County side, 70% on the Greenville County side. And we're the fastest growing part of two counties. So we're having to manage that, but people love, I think you you can, I call it how to be a regular, the, the, the regular measure of how often do you visit a place before you become a regular? I feel like here it's, you know, it's like three times and everyone and the owner knows you. Yeah. Um, that's not a scientific metric. That's uh, something I just, I feel in my heart. I think people love that idea. You can walk down our historic main street. Everyone says hello. You'll, you'll run into somebody, you know, the community as in like the civic life of the community is really intertwined with daily life in a positive way. And, uh, you know, our police officers are focused on various neighborhoods and work with them. Our staff, you know, eat lunch every day, you know, out and about town and people know them a lot. Some of our staff have grown up here. I think that that small town charm and small town feel is, is what people are looking for. They're looking for a place they can really call their community. And I think we exemplify that better than any city I've ever come across. Yeah. It reminds me of the television show uh, I grew up on called Cheers. And in their theme song Mm -hmm. says where everybody knows your name. Uh, it really is like yes. that, but you you can still get the big city feel and and all of the things that you like from the big city, but have that small town feel at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, is, there's no denying that the, the growth around Greenville is is fuel for this. That you know, you we do have access. You know, we're 20 minutes on a if you if you have an early flight, you're 20 25 minutes to the airport. You're you know 25 to 30 minutes downtown Greenville. When it comes to you know. Farmers markets, you know, we're the closest to the farms down here. That's our, that's our farmers market tagline, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, you're to Columbia is 75 minutes on a good day, parking lot to parking lot. And Charleston's, you know, you can get there in a little under a little over three hours. So, yeah, I think that's that's obviously a perk with the growth in manufacturing in this area has driven a, a lot of the the demand. So, I mean, we're, we're situated in the perfect spot in the state. So I'm sure a big burden of responsibility falls on your shoulder, GP, to grow the city, but at the same time, keep that small town feel. How do you balance? How do you strike that balance? (laughs) Your listeners may experience a three hour uh, podcast if we go too far down this (laughs) road. But we've been really intentional about uh, about this as a city and talking about it a lot. Um, And it's it's. It's my number one thing, and it's zoning. So when we talk about growth in this part of the county or any part of the state or anywhere, really, 
you're talking about people building new homes. They have to build these homes or they do build these homes on land. Someone had to sell that land to them. What we're experiencing in the southern part of the county and northern part of Lawrence County is generational change in ownership of large tracts of land. And that is every family's right. I mean, some of these folks, you know, it's either an inheritance, it's part of their retirement plan, it's just generational change, you know, it, whatever their need may be. And the question is, what is the appropriate role that local government can play and should play in what happens when a decision around that property is made? And the correct answer, the responsible answer to that is zoning. Zoning is laws that govern what a property can be used for, you know, whether it's residential, commercial, industrial, those types of uses. And, you know, it's governed a lot by state law. There's a lot of also legal, not just state law, but, you know, even constitutional processes on it. And so you've got, um, you've got to balance the rights of the property owners, whether they're a family or a developer, whoever owns that part property, but also balance it with the, with the community's vision. And so how we develop our zoning laws is, is the way we articulate that vision in legal terms. And so we've been laser focused on adjusting that zoning or strengthening that zoning. We're, and I won't go into all the details, but we're going through a revamp of our comprehensive plan that is the starting point of potentially a rewrite for almost all of our zoning laws, particularly those that impact residential. Mm. And so that's things like it gets down to length of driveways or wow. which impacts how many cars park on the street. So it's a trickle down yeah. of impact or how, how, what size lots should go where. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's what we, that I feel like is the appropriate role for us to play mm. that doesn't get it down to a subjective vote of one particular person, but rather you can start with actually an objective measure. Um, you get what you allow with zoning. And we, uh, over time, it has become clear that, you know, we need to change some of the things that we allow given the rate of growth we're experiencing. Yeah. And I'll close, I'll close this comment with this, that our state law, every city has to do a comprehensive plan every 10 years and you update it every five. Well, we actually did our 10 year update in 2017. We've already exceeded the growth projections that that plan anticipated for 10 years. Wow. So we, in five years, we're actually not just updating our comprehensive plan. We are redoing it because we've exceeded those expectations. Wow. And being the youngest mayor of Fountain Inn, I'm sure that comes with many challenges, even during the campaign and also unique challenges, even after you took office. Can you speak to some of those unique challenges that come with being uh, one of the best and brightest under 35, but still being the mayor of Fountain Inn? Well, I'm 60 internally. I'm an old soul. <laughs> I'm asleep usually about 10 o'clock. Maybe that's due to our two-year-old, but you know, that's uh, I'm an old soul. So I, I come at this from a place of, I, I love Fountain Inn. Yeah. You know, I, I, I live here. All seven of us. So there's seven council members, including myself. You know, we're we we all live here in town. We are all someone's neighbor. Mm -hmm. So imagine your neighbor being on city council. That's we have a passion for where we live, and so I think you know, regardless of age, that passion and love for the place that you live, and you want it to be as best as it can be for your family, for your businesses. We all share that passion, regardless of our age. I will say that our, our council is actually fairly young. I am not the youngest person on council now. Mm. 
And there are two other people who are actually younger than me on city council and our city leadership is getting younger. And we've got our, also a brand new high school and Fountain high school was built. And so we've got um, a lot of youth engagement in our community beyond just that we have a great recreation program and, and art programs. It's where a lot of kids have interacted with our city, our community to begin with, but those are growing as well. So, I mean, I think I don't take my young age as a challenge. It's an opportunity to make sure that we honor the tradition of Fountain Inn and, and how we became who we are, this, the best city in America, how we're, you know, the small town charm and protecting that, but making sure that we maintain that allure to every generation. And that's, uh, that's I think that comes with, with the job at this age. So youngest mayor, Fountain Inn, is it something that you want to turn into a career now? This is your first, this is your first foray into public office. Do you feel like that you're going to continue down this path? Do you feel like you're going to move up, up through the ranks? Or do you feel like mayor is where you want to stay? Or We got a lot to do before we, <laughs> as mayor, before we think about anything else. There, there's a, being mayor is, is the most rewarding job I have uh, outside of being a father and a husband and a, and a family man. It, uh, this, is, this is a calling. And there's a lot of great work to do and a lot of great work still to do. Um, I think Fountain Inn is going to experience a, a second chapter in its modern day renaissance coming up soon. The momentum that we have now in how our downtown is developing and the new commercial offerings that our residents have better choice in, the expansion of some of our parks and services. I think there's, there's a lot of positive things that are happening that our city council collectively that we have been we have been you know lock and step together on on keeping those that momentum going and i think you know i enjoy that work i really do not president next year you don't want to be the youngest president oh i don't know I, you know by the time this airs uh i don't know anybody who wants to be in dc during uh house speaker votes so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, listen, let's shift gears real quick. I'd love to, uh, obviously, super successful. You, this is, and being mayor is just one of your part-time gigs in a way. It's full-time gig, but it's a part-time. You've got you've got other uh, companies mm-hmm. that you own and run outside of that. Like I mentioned before, Greenville Business Magazine calls you one of the 50 most influential people and best and brightest under 35. I would love our listeners to be able to hear some of your keys to success, GP. Teach us, uh, give us how can someone else following in your footsteps learn how to be as successful as GP? Yeah, I think there are two things that always drive me in my work. One is my favorite quote, which is from the author Malcolm Gladwell. And in an interview with journalism students, they asked, how do you be a good journalist? And his response was, it's about teaching yourself that everything is interesting. And I will say that that has honestly been a theme for me that I carry every day that no matter the issue facing me or the opportunity, it's interesting. How your trash gets picked up is interesting. Uh, how a road is built is interesting. Zoning, I think, of course, as you can tell, is I think is super interesting. You know, all everything, if you come at the stance that this is an interesting topic that I, I need to learn as much as I can about, you're gonna, you're gonna get a better picture. And the second piece is, this idea of respecting or seeking to understand, which goes right in hand with everything is interesting. But that a lot of times in work 
or in politics or in life, you find yourself, you know, with your, at your Thanksgiving table sitting across from somebody in your family who doesn't agree with you on what type, mm-hmm. whether it's dressing or stuffing, you know, like we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> take a topic. We'll take that one. You know, like it, yeah. that if you come at those types of situations from a place of respect and that you want to understand the other person's perspective, you're going to, A, I think, find yourself having a deeper understanding of the broader issue. You're going to have a deeper respect for that person. And I think you're going to have a healthier conversation. Um, you may not change someone's mind all the time, but if you can walk away with them understanding your perspective better and you understanding theirs, you're going to at least have a path forward to keep going. So I would say that those two things have been a driving force of mine, seeking to find out more about something as seemingly mundane as garbage pickup. It's a lot more complicated than you think. It has helped regulate how I approach the issue of garbage pickup, for instance. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I find both of those very interesting because they both speak to your heart as a politician and and a public servant. Uh, But I would love to take a deep dive into the seeking to understand because I feel like that is so counter to our culture right now, GP especially with social media, everything out there is trying to divide people and it's people want to put their fingers in their ears and don't ever want to hear any other point of view. They don't want to seek to understand the other people and they just, they dig in their shoes and feel like I'm right. You're wrong. Deal with it. Right. How do you bridge those gaps? Just, you said coming from a place of respect, but give us, give us a little bit more, speak a little bit further into that. Yeah. I I think it is what's missing nowadays that there is political opportunity and division that really only furthers either a person or a group of people. And to stoke that division, I think, is to play and is just to play into everything that's wrong and, and how we are meant to operate as, as human beings with each other, uh, let alone in our political system. So in every line of work that I've done, whether it's been in local government, when I had to convince city council members when I was a staff person of, you know, changing a law or something or creating the, we did, I created the, uh, the, wrote the policy for the Malden public art trail that still goes on today and coming up with the right process for that. Or it's talking with uh, legislators at the state house about uh, transportation funding in my new job, uh, newer, uh, I guess I'm eight, seven months in, I guess I can't really say I'm new anymore, but you know, whether it's talking to a legislator about how to fund transportation initiatives across the state, you can't come at those topics from a place that my way is your is the only way, because everyone else also thinks that. And I think it boils down to the fact that I see sometimes my job when it comes to these like political decisions is not necessarily to change someone's mind. It's to add dimension to their view. Have you thought about it this way? Or can we agree that maybe this is also true or that here's where I'm just just the basic of here's where I'm coming from? That's how I have tried to to live it out. I I could go on and on, I guess, but I can stop there. Many people, and myself included, can be guilty of just forming an opinion right away when we don't necessarily know everything behind the issue. We don't, we know maybe 1% or 2% or 5% of what's going on. And we've already formed an opinion instead of, like you said, first of all, teaching ourselves everything is interesting. And then second of all, seeking to understand, getting that other 90% or that other 95%. 
instead of maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong, but just blowing straight in there. Yeah. I also, the other, the, I guess the third component to this that I've tried to always live out, it's not advice necessarily. I guess it could, although you could apply it as such in terms of success is focusing on policy and process. So a lot of times things come down to poor communication or they come down to a misunderstanding or they come down to lack of transparency and just not knowing that something was going to happen. So when we come to a problem, I always like to look at what is the policy that has governed the decision that was made? Is that policy strong enough or broad enough or specific enough, whatever the case may be, to it is, is that the source of friction here? Or is it how the policy was applied and the process behind it? Was the process transparent? Was it well communicated? Did it involve the right amount of input? Is there red tape there that is necessary to be a check and balance? Or is there red tape there that is pointless? I think that is sort of this third piece that I always try to look at. Um, Because you you talk about, you know, you kind of sometimes people form an opinion and stick to it. It's, well, have we talked about how this decision was made. And we talk about growth, I'll bring it back to that conversation for a second. There are parcels of land around the city that are being developed right now that never came before this city council. They were zoned. The zoning process took place sometimes in the 80s or the 90s. And that was a decision of council at the time. And now that property owner should be allowed to do with their property what they're permitted to do. So it actually doesn't come before us. We may not be a big fan of what they're doing on it, what they're building, but what is our role in that? And that the process was this. And so for instance, one of the things we've helped do that is we actually ordered our live streaming equipment or a a version of it the week before COVID hit. Even though all the other government, everyone was forced to do it, we were already thinking about it. It was one of the biggest things I wanted to run on, I ran on was live streaming our meetings. And so um, we do that. Uh, we have continued to do that. We also post our recordings, um, which sounds simple, but some communities don't do that. Uh, yeah. And then we also, we also do live stream and record our planning commission and our board of zoning appeals so that you can actually follow an issue throughout the entire process uh, to when it comes to council. And then you can go back and watch it and, and you can learn about it. That I would say that's sort of the third piece of how you how do you approach that conversation of seeking to understand. It's not yeah. just the issue; it's also the process that governs it. Because sometimes the problem is the process or the policy. It may not be the decision at hand. Yeah, and th- with what you're doing, right, right there, what you're talking about gives a lot of clarity. Like you talked about poor communication, misunderstanding. If you're posting your videos online, you're giving the ability for anybody to be able to see these things. So that's great to be able to just be that uh, transparent to your uh, to your community. Let me jump back a sec and ask a dumb question, GP. You mentioned number one, G- Malcolm Gladwell said, teach yourself that everything's interesting. I just find that sometimes things are boring. How do I teach myself that everything is interesting? How do I how do I go about teaching myself that? Yeah, I'm the guy that watches C-SPAN, so others don't have to uh, a lot of times. <laughs> so I have to talk about it. There are some things that are very, very dry. Um, you know, I, I would say that if it's something that you're just like, I, there are some things that you're just never going to know much about. But yeah, that you're just, everything is interesting, but the capacity to, to do that to your full extent, it's going to be hard. 
But in those instances, I like to find people who think that that is more interesting than, than I think and lean on them. So about finding your group of people that you can call up and say, hey, do you know more about this? Or mm-hmm. you know more about this than I do. Can you tell me? Yeah. Like, can you tell me? I don't, I am not an expert on every police policy out there. I call our police chief. You know, I am, I am not an expert on education. I call my mom, dad, sister, or wife. They're all educators. Yeah. I'm not a college kid. I call my brother for that. Um, <laughs> you kind of find those folks who are experts that you can trust and lean on. And then I, I don't just typically ask, what do you think? I try to ask also why. And mm. there's also that philosophy of, you know, the five whys. So you ask the question why five times in order to get to potentially the root of whatever you're trying to learn about. So it's not just about getting gaining more information, but even gaining what's behind the information. And maybe that helps you get the interest that you were looking for. Right, right. And, and it's also like, how does this impact what I'm working on? Things are going to be interesting at different times. So it's sure, and, sure. And, and so that that fluctuates, but it but it's also seeking, okay, so how why is this impacting what I'm trying to work on? And how is it impacting this? And that's what I find interesting is so why is the debate about XYZ taking up so much oxygen in the room? And how is that impacting the work I'm trying to do in you know the boardroom or the or the or yeah. city hall? And to understand um, how how does that decision impact maybe not what's happening on paper for me, but it's happening around me. So then help me connect to the dots. Then how does teaching yourself that everything's interesting, how does that lead to success in my everyday life? I find my if, if I keep that at my heart as I move through life and decisions, I have found that it has helped me realize that there's a lot of respect to be given to everybody that everybody has something that they are passionate about and know a lot about. And to them, mm. that topic, that hobby is super interesting. Yeah. That that's going to be something they're, they're just really passionate about. And that's their driving force. It's also helped me understand sort of like, I guess you could say, you know, the theory of relativity of where you put, you know, you you put them, you got a black hole in the middle, you put a marble on a fabric and it like causes different yeah. things to move differently. It's, it's that it may not be that this is in my orbit to elongate the pun. It doesn't, it may not be in my orbit, but it's affecting the gravitational pull. Mm. And so how that's, that's also why I find it interesting and beneficial. If I know that a County is tackling this big topic, I know that that may mean that it's changing the political landscape of that council. And so I need to be cognizant of who, of when I time things or, or, or who to talk to, or if I'm that you apply that to a boardroom, apply that to any decision-making room. That's uh, that has helped me navigate that better. So creating that genuine curiosity and that learning to create interest in things helps you understand where you should and shouldn't be in your orbits and all that. Well, let's shift here again real quick, GP. Tell, tell us a little bit about Upstate Mobility Alliance. Yeah. So I am loving being in that role. I started in May of 2022, and I help I cover 10 counties in the upstate. We sit, well, we sit under the group 10 at the top. They are our kind of umbrella organization. We are one of their larger initiatives. So I run the initiative for them. 
We cover 10 counties and we help advance transportation solutions across the, that region. We try to take a regional view on that. Sometimes that means we help individual communities because that's applicable to other communities in other mm-hmm. counties. But we try to kind of connect those dots. What's the common thread? What are the common hurdles these communities are experiencing? What are the common opportunities that they have been navigating? Our ultimate goal is that you know the mobility, the, the upstate is easier to get around. That's yeah. probably the best, best way to talk about the best way to frame it. Whether that's on a bus, whether that's in their own car, whether that's walking, or whether it's taking going to the airport. The, yeah. And all the innovation that's ahead of us paired with the reality on the ground. So how we help communities kind of navigate that and and bring better public awareness to all of it. Uh, going back to your rule, people will find that very interesting when they're stuck in traffic at five o'clock at during rush hour. <laughs> they typically Don't... find it very interesting when it's not very uh, free to move around. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, I love that work because a lot transportation is a behemoth and yeah. we cover the whole sector technically. So you're talking about not just like how to get on a bus and bus routes. We're talking about bus manufacturing. We're talking about workforce uh, around that. We're talking about getting to and from the airport. We're talking about trail systems and how they connect communities. We're talking about the these funding mechanisms and policy mechanisms that provide the underpinning support for public transportation in all of its forms, whether that's a bus on call for seniors to get our senior citizens or or those who need uh, have medical appointments in more rural areas, or it's a robust bus system like we have in Anderson, Spartanburg, Greenville, and uh, and Clemson. It covers that whole gamut. There's it's huge. There's a lot of policy that go that surrounds that work a lot because on top of all of that, you've got well all of these things drive on something called a road. So you layer on top of it road funding and road improvements, and yeah. you've got yourself a very complex quilt, a very warm, dense yeah. quilt of red tape. And um, what I find exciting is I, I like exploring red tape. Why does it exist? What's the justification for it? How can we tweak it or navigate it uh, to make it better for the people that we that we support? And so that's that's the kind of work that we've been we've been doing, uh, and I, I really love it. It's a it's a whole new industry as you. We talked about it came from the art sector, but I was steeped in policy work. And so I find yeah. digging into that stuff fascinating and interesting. As mayor, I've had the opportunity to have a lot more deeper knowledge about how all of that works um, the, in the transportation sector. And I'm really happy to put that to work for the whole region. If you listen to my podcast, at the end of my podcast, my tagline offers people transportation advice. And I need your help with this, uh, GP, mm-hmm. to get this message out. I tell people the left lane is for passing, so speed up or move over. <laughs> you could say comma, it's now the law, because it is. It's, it's now the law. <laughs> yeah. That's a $25 anyway, that's, ticket. I've I've never heard of or seen anybody getting a ticket for that, but we they've need to start. Done, they've done 490 tickets in the first year. Last year was the first year of enforcement. Wow. And it's 490 tickets, I think, was the number. Okay, I'm going to take a second here, and I'm going to insert it in an applause. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, okay, well, let's t- tell me about Pecan Public Relations. Yeah, so the, th- the, the third um, employment-related hat that I wear. During COVID, I had a call from 
an organization that I worked with a lot, um, uh, just that uh, we were good friends with, or we served on each other's committees and got a call from them to say, hey, we need some help. Have you ever thought about helping out uh, nonprofits with their advocacy work? And by that, I mean, in the background, how to, strengthening our internal capacity as staff to navigate the world of policy and giving us some really good parameters for our board to consider on how we how we act in that environment. When do we make decisions on how to act and when to act? And that policy and process piece I always go back to. And so out of that came this idea and uh, me and a, and a friend of mine had always thought about, you know, how do we do some a little consulting work? And out of that idea was born PCAN and Public Relations. We specialize in helping nonprofits with their advocacy work, uh, but we also help with communications and governance um, and events. So we have a, a handful of clients across the state, all nonprofit organizations that we're helping, whether it's kind of giving advice on how the process works or it's building a policy for their board to consider on how they can navigate this space. Uh, or it's, you know, newsletter digests on, hey, here's what's going on in Columbia and trainings along all of those lines. So we just kind of help them. Nonprofits are finding themselves to have a, a necessity to navigate that environment more than they really have in the past. And there are legal constraints on how nonprofits can and should navigate that with yeah. their 501c3 tax status. And so we kind of just help them demystify the process first, just so they understand how decisions are made. and then maybe interpret, hey, here's here's what this means, you know, and, and here's the here's what's going on. Um, so we help them with that, but then also we help, you know, like I said, communications work, PR work, um, and trainings and governance. Wow. So you can help me turn this uh, podcast to, into a nonprofit? We can do that. Yes, we can. It's already, uh, I'm already making no profit from it right now, so it's already so a nonprofit. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, we, we've got some really great, we've been able to help clients in the spheres of, of housing and homelessness and early childhood initiatives um, and in nonprofits in general, just as, as an entity. We've also learned a lot. What I love about it is it has helped me learn how interesting all of these other issues are that we have learned. Uh, personally, I've learned a lot as well. And I, I find the work really rewarding. Where can people find you, GP? If, you, if people want to reach out, they want to connect, where where do you recommend they reach out to you at? Uh, uh, you can, uh, I guess the easiest way is my personal website, gpmcclear.com. And there you'll find, you should find links to uh, the Ability Alliance. If you're interested in learning more about how to improve transportation in your community, the city of Fountain Inn, if you want to come visit uh, the best city in, in America, uh, or PCAN, if uh, you have a nonprofit that you think could benefit from talking to us. All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over.